Welcome to Between the Waves, the podcast all about how to create sustainable mental health to help you find a little bit of space between your waves. Hey everyone, it's Hannah here. Today is your lucky day. It's another Double Hannah episode. Um, Today I'm joined by Hannah Flores. Hannah is an authentic marketing strategist and founder of Digital Nourishment. Hannah helps entrepreneurs in the health and wellness space to market their business online while staying true to their values. She offers strategy and training via one-to-one sessions, workshops, and her course, Social Media Planning with Confidence. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. How how are you doing at the moment? The world's a bit bonkers right now, isn't it, with uh, (laughs) lockdown and post-lockdown rule changes? How are you finding it all? Oh, it has been crazy. Um, I'm doing okay, actually. Yeah, I I think when we first went into lockdown, I really struggled. Um, The anxiety certainly came out and then I feel like I've been on a bit of a journey. And yeah, I I hate the phrase the new normal, but I feel like it is kind of the new normal now. And I'm just liking that things are opening up. So like I went to the pick your own farm with my son this morning and I've been out and got some fresh air. So that helps. But it's certainly a crazy time isn't it yeah it's bonkers and actually uh, you know as someone with anxiety I actually found lockdown I found it was hard don't get me wrong trying to work full-time whilst crisis educating two children but but actually the source of a lot of my anxiety is external to the house so Mm. it was quite nice I had a little bit of a break from all the 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 really full-on anxiety Uh, and now stuff is opening up again and and you're right I, I don't like the phrase the new normal either but actually, I've definitely reevaluated the things that I am willing to put myself through. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be rushing here, there and everywhere to do loads of stuff that actually is the last few months have shown isn't that important to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I get what you mean. Like, it's funny for me, one of my real coping mechanisms is to actually be outside. So I didn't like being inside the whole time. But I agree there's something almost a little bit safe and reassuring about just being inside and being in your bubble um so I can I can get that yeah it's it's an adjustment for everyone I think isn't it now that the rules are changing and things are going forward and the, the, it's changing every day isn't it and, and that's the that's the difficulty at the moment is trying to keep up it is. <laughs> you know what I I guess at the moment with so much change it's good to um follow what's happening but the biggest thing for me in lockdown was I stopped watching the news yeah I did a complete block so I I might have occasionally seen some stuff on Facebook I didn't watch it I didn't read it I didn't listen to it if there was something really crucial my husband would tell me and I saw like an instant change in my anxiety levels from doing that so I know it's we we don't we want to know what's going on of course and follow the rules but I feel like for me there's something about being in my little bubble and not following every kind of panic driven story that's that's written at the moment yeah I did exactly the same thing so at the at the start I was obviously like checking the news and watching all the briefings and everything and I just I found my anxiety increasing but also I was just getting really angry because I felt like all the reporting was really sensationalist and I wasn't getting enough facts and evidence it was all just hype and so I I did the same as you I stopped everything and I just said to my husband if there's anything I absolutely need to know let me know but I'm not reading anything so don't send me a link just tell me yeah, exactly the same here and it made such a difference and actually without going off on too much of a tangent uh funnily enough podcasts were the real thing that saved me during lockdown yes. 
Um, so I would go, you know, and this is like when we were in proper lockdown, you know, and we were allowed out once a day. Um, I would go for an early morning walk on my own before my husband had to start work and I had to be with our son. Um, and I'd listen to a podcast and I listened to um, an amazing episode with Mo Gowder. Oh, wow. He, he's incredible, like ex-Google guy who's written this book about happiness. Um, and I'm trying to remember which podcast it was on now. I think it was on, um, uh, oh, God, what's her name? How to Fail. I've forgotten her name. Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth Day. Yeah. yeah, I think it was on there. But anyway, and that was one of the key things he said was talking specifically about the situation. Is he was like, avoid the news because they have to fill a news cycle 24-7, so they'll pad it out. Like you say, it's sensationalist. They'll just write anything, and that's the stuff that feeds my anxiety. You know, like, yeah. this might happen, and this might happen. It's like, well, we don't know, so let's not speculate. Yeah. <laughs> that's the real- thing with anxiety, isn't it? It's all those what-if scenarios. Like, I don't need any help with coming up with those. <laughs> like, my brain is on overdrive in that already. <laughs> like, I am good with those, all on my own. And funnily yeah. enough, when we went into lockdown, I was very, I, I started having panic attacks, which I haven't, hadn't had for a few years, but just before we went into lockdown with the not knowing what was coming. And then when we went into it, I was almost a bit relieved because it was yeah. just like, okay, I just know where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, it was all of that uncertainty of, crikey, this must be really bad if we're talking about literally not leaving the house, you know, and and my anxiety goes off and like, you know, the world is going to end kind of train. And and that's where I get to. And I, I struggle to kind of get out of that loop. So I, I felt the same when, when we're actually like confirmed to be in lockdown, I was like, okay, you know, that's great. I'm in my house. We're all here together. That's yeah. it. That's all we're doing. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was the same. Well, it was good. So before we kind of get into more stuff around how you've shaped your life now uh, around your mental health, I'm keen to know a bit more about how your mental health journey started. Yeah. Um, so I think really, as we've alluded to, the, the main thing that I struggle with is anxiety. Um, and I sort of looking back on it, it probably started to kind of I don't know how, how you phrase it, materialise or show symptoms. When I when I first moved to London, which was, I think, about 12 years ago, um, and looking back on it, it's so clear to me now what was going on, but at the time it wasn't really. Um, so I was always somebody that was, like, pretty laid back and, like, relaxed about everything. I, I've always been an overthinker, but this anxiety thing was quite new to me. Um, and I think it was just living in London, um, you know, getting on the tube, everything being really busy, everyone rushing around, um, having quite stressful jobs. I did a lot of sort of um, client services jobs. Um, so I quite often had, you know, like people shouting at me and, and whatever. And I think that, so if I can like feel my chest going as I'm talking about this. So then I start. it wasn't a constant thing, but I had a few different periods of time where I started having panic attacks um so I guess at worst it was a panic attack and then at best it was like a low level anxiety feeling um and funnily enough when I met my now husband I was having panic attacks then and I remember really early on we'd only been together for like I don't know weeks or something I had a panic attack at work and I got sent home and I called him when I was on the bus to say you know I'm going home this is what's happened 
Um, and then he just turned up at my house a few hours later with like fresh fruits and chocolate and a DVD. Oh. I know it was so cute. And he'd taken the afternoon off work. And that's when I was like, okay, you're a keeper. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's when, and actually funnily enough, it, it got better. I think a lot of anxiety was triggered through sort of previous relationships and always feeling very insecure and not knowing what was going on. I think once I found somebody that I felt stable and kind of safe with, that helped. Obviously, it doesn't get rid of it. Um, But really, the more recent thing is after I had my son, who is now five and a half. Um, So I think my anxiety did heighten during my pregnancy. But again, I maybe didn't acknowledge it. So I, I remember, like, I didn't want to go on a plane. I didn't want to go on holiday. I was very, didn't really like going to new places. Um, and then I had a really traumatic birth. Um, so it was near fatal, really. Like I hemorrhaged a huge amount of blood and it was all, it was just yeah, really, really, don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but really rubbish. Um, and yeah, and then I think, so what happened after that was this really heightened anxiety and depression as well. Um, I don't really, like, we were kind of saying in the chat before, I don't really like putting labels on stuff, but I think if you wanted to label it, it was postnatal depression and anxiety. Um, but the anxiety was the really key thing. Um, and what happened for me, and I never thought I would see this as a positive, but I had really bad insomnia. So I'd had bouts of insomnia before, but like nothing like this. Like, you know, this was like whole nights of not sleeping. Um, it was horrendous. And I was exhausted. So yeah I mean I had a horrible birth I had you know failed forceps and um von Teus, and then I had a c-section and then I had the hemorrhage so my body really needed to recover yeah, but yeah. after I think it's all a bit of a blur but I think it's after about three months Isaac actually started sleeping so he would maybe sleep for like five six hours and I would just be lying wide awake which is obviously not normal um and so yeah, like I said, I never thought I would see it as a positive because the insomnia messed with my head so much. But I think it was a way, in a way, because it was the red flag. It was like, it's not normal to not sleep when you are exhausted. Um, and yeah, so basically, I'm sorry, it's such a long-winded story. Um, but yeah, I I thought this went on for a while. And then I just remember my mum coming to stay with us. And, you know, I'd had another couple of nights of not really sleeping. And I just remember it very vividly being on the stairs. And I just said to her and my husband, I just, I don't think I'm okay. Like, that's all I said, Mm. like, I'm not okay. Um, And they were like, yeah, okay. And went into very quickly, they were brilliant. And so I went and stayed with my mum in Dorset for a couple of weeks with baby Isaac. My husband had to work. Um, And basically things got a lot worse before they got better um as I'm sure you know a lot of people who struggle with their mental health can relate to so yeah the sleeping got worse the anxiety got worse the depression got so much worse kind of as a result of it all um I went to my mum's doctor who was actually really amazing um and we tried they tried giving me some stuff to help me sleep and that didn't work and it made it worse and anyway cut a long story short I was then prescribed uh, medication. So I started taking sertraline, which is like an SSRI. So I think it's good for um, depression, but it's specifically good for um, anxiety. And I was really lucky. It actually kicked, they gave me a high dose. It kicked in quite quickly. 
Um, so within like a few days, I started sleeping. Um, and that, yeah, so really what I always say, because I think there's a lot of stigma around taking medication for mental health, which really irritates me. Um, but I always try and say it quite openly, like, that's what I did. And I get it's not right for everyone. But for me, I felt completely desperate. I felt like I couldn't go on. I don't, you never know, but I don't feel like I would probably still be here if I hadn't have taken that medication. Um, so that was kind of what I call like the emergency fix. Like I needed that just to function, to be able to sleep and get out of bed and eat. Um, you know, again, as people relate to, like I couldn't eat anything, you know, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I didn't even talk, which like I am so chatty. <laughs> you can't shut me up normally. Um, yeah, so that's that was kind of the really sort of dark time I took the medication it did kick in quickly but still I would say like the first six months after I had eyes it were really tough like you know every day was a struggle every day was a like waking up thinking oh god I don't know if I can you know I don't know if I can get through this um and then after a year I stopped taking the medication um I saw a therapist at the same time which I think is really kind of important to mention um and then I did a lot of other things. So I learned about, um, I guess, what you would call like self-care tools. And, you know, before I had Isaac, I didn't do any exercise. Like I was that person. I would walk a bit. I didn't do anything. But so then I discovered, you know, other things that would help me. But so I would always say like the, the medication and then the therapy were like really what was needed just to be able to cope with life. But then I kind of learned some ongoing stuff as well. Um and I mean, in terms of a journey, I'm not not in any way, shape or form in that state. But anxiety just seems to be with me now. You know, it is something I it's hard to describe, isn't it? But it's like it's always bubbling away there. And if I manage it correctly, it's like low level. Um, if I don't, it can creep up very quickly. And again, that's what I saw when we went into lockdown, I was almost surprised how quickly it kind of took over me again and panic attacks. And um, yeah, so that's a very long winded answer. Um. <laughs> no, it, no, there are a couple of things I just want to kind of pick up on from your story, which like I'm sat here nodding along is oh. I can just it really resonates. Um, and the first thing for me is around the traumatic birth. Mm. Um and that definitely had an impact on my mental health. I had a traumatic birth and, mm-hmm. and it's something I feel like the conversation's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So like when you, when you're a new mum, especially a first time mum, I was really surprised the first time I kind of met other mums that are like a mum and baby group type thing. Um, the conversation just really quickly, everyone was sharing their kind of birth stories yeah. And everyone was having that conversation about, you know, crikey, this bit was really tough. And like, you know, we had to have an intervention and it was really awful. Or, you know, I I spoke to so few women who said, oh, it's great. No worries. You know, most people had something that had to some extent traumatized them. And I just I really feel like that's a gap in our sort of day to day conversation at the moment in terms of we need to be open about the fact that yes giving birth is this natural wonderful amazing thing and our bodies are incredible but 
bloody hell sometimes it's awful and you know it's okay to find it awful and it's okay to need help and for me I feel there's a real gap in support for new mums in terms of being able to almost kind of debrief on the birthing process and and have that reassurance that you know everything's okay now you're okay you're safe you know and and just kind of recover from the shock I think you know that was for me it took me like a a good few days to just come out of that being in shock Mm. yeah absolutely I mean I was drugged off my face for the first few days but yeah I totally agree with you and I I don't it's just so bizarre isn't it and I look back on it now and I think I've been to visit friends in the past before I was a mum and you sort of go around and you maybe even let them make you a cup of tea and you just think oh there's a baby now but you don't actually think about like what they've physically and mentally been through for that baby to be there and often they're probably in quite a lot of pain and yeah it's really it's really weird I I totally agree I'm and it's so funny, isn't it? You like you said, you meet somebody. I remember going to um, I'm going to Costa with a mum that I'd met. We literally sat there. We must have had the babies with us, and we were just yeah, we were talking about our births. We barely knew each other. Yeah. We didn't even know our surnames, and we but we needed to talk about it. And that's like you say, you need the debrief. You need to go through it. And in a way, like not that I think it's better. Obviously, like my birth was awful, but I guess in some ways I done a lot of processing because of like how awful it was so like I've I've spoken to a therapist about it extensively um and in a way I feel like everyone needs that so even if you have an inverted commas straightforward birth it's still a massive traumatic thing that your body goes through and you kind of need to process that don't you yeah absolutely and I got really I got really cross because anger is my go-to it, like I'm I either if something bad happens like I can go into a heap and and just kind of collapse or I get angry and yeah. sometimes I can choose which is lucky so so in this case I got really angry because I'd been to all these antenatal classes and I'd read all these books to kind of prepare me for it because as someone with anxiety you know you oh, I over prepare and I, I needed to know everything I could possibly know about what might happen to me and yet no, nothing, there was nothing about you might have to have an emergency cesarean and this is what it looks like. This, you know, there will be like what feels like a million people in the room with you and mm. bright lights and it will be quite scary. And mm. there was none of that. And there was none of that conversation of what could potentially go wrong and the impact that that might have. There was nothing to prepare me for yeah. feeling like, I needed therapy straight after having a child you know it was it was all just yeah you're going to labor and it will hurt a bit and this is how you breathe and these are some positions yeah. it was yeah. like, come on that's nothing you know <laughs> no, I always use the example so actually I went to NCT which you know in a way was a nice thing I met some lovely friends but also it's a joke right I mean <laughs> um, so I think she told us a little bit about um interventions and I was told that the other lady that ran the NCT in the same building had actually uttered the words oh we don't need to talk about c-sections because you don't need to talk about that and I I agree with you I get so angry when I think about it um 60% of my NCT group we had (laughs) c-sections and actually 
only one of us out of our NCT group didn't have, you know, she had a straightforward birth, like, okay, at her, whatever, but yeah, everyone yeah. else had like something pretty bad happen, like really quite bad. So yeah, you're not preparing people. It's ridiculous. And it's funny, my, I remember going to see the midwife and she asked me to do a birth plan, which is beyond hilarious, isn't it? The idea of having a birth plan. Yeah, absolutely. What's the point? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's setting yourself up to fail. Um, and to be fair to her, I was, you know, I said all the things that people say, I want to have a water birth and I don't want any pain me. And, and she said, okay, that's all fine. Um, but she did say to me, if we need to cut you, we will. And if we need to give you an emergency C-section, we will. And I said to her, and I'm so glad I asked this question. I said to her, look, I'm not planning on having pain relief, but if I did have to have an emergency C-section, can you tell me like what would happen? And she said to me, they will give you a spinal block. It will take seven minutes to kick in. In that seven minutes, they'll scrub in, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think it was either her or somebody else told me that there would be a lot of people in the room. And that's exactly what happened to me. So luckily... I mean, I had some other stuff happen in surgery before the C-section, but that one snippet of information was just so helpful for me because I, in my head, I was thinking, okay, I get what's happening now. You know, they're putting the spinal block in my spine and the reason there's like 20 people is because they all have a job to do. And why can't we just tell everyone that? It doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. It's not fating it by giving you the information. It's yeah, just... Yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, this is why, like, I saw a therapist and I'm actually seeing her again recently. She's brilliant. And, you know, this is the stuff that we extensively talk about. And she's like, it makes me feel so angry. And yes, I can imagine. I don't know. I haven't experienced it. But having a, again, I hate calling it a natural birth, but yeah. I guess a sort of non-intervention. So, like, I nearly had a water birth. So I was, like, pushing in the birth pool for, like, three hours or whatever. So if I'd have had that. I get it. It would have been a very nice, uh, maybe not nice, but you know, it would have been a calm experience. I can understand why people would want that. However, you don't have any control over it. So I then, the baby got stuck. So there was nothing I could do about it. And then you end up feeling like a failure. Whereas if you had it explained to you that like, this is what we're going to attempt, but if it doesn't work, these are the options and this is what we'll do. Then we're not all going to come out feeling like, failures as women yeah um, absolutely yeah and I could talk about this all day as you can probably too honestly but what's what's really interesting for me is that you know so so that for me was almost eight years ago now with my first child and it, it's pretty blurry in my head that's what that's how I manage my anxiety is that I yeah. don't have memories yeah. And but there are there are two things I can remember really clearly, and that is kind of looking up and it just being bright lights and loads of people. And Mm. the one person who was entirely focused on me. So this was like half past one in the morning. You know, I'd I'd been in labor for a while. You know, I'd gone in and shout out to Wade Payne at Ardini in Exeter because man alive he kept me through like he got me through that he was there for me talking to me the whole time making what, silly jokes what was his job he so he's the anaesthetist um, yeah see I was like I bet you're talking about anaesthetists yeah they are bloody amazing aren't they absolutely just yeah. and, and honestly 
the only person who was like, you okay, Hannah? How's it going? You know? That's why they get paid big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And and that's like, you know, I can still remember his name, for goodness sake. You know, I just... It, it, that's how much of an impact it has and and that's why it's really important that we have those kinds of conversations that that we can you know that you know you can say yeah okay in an ideal situation you won't have a c-section but if you do this is what's going to happen yeah don't worry there is going to be someone right there next to you talking yeah. to you the entire time you know Absolutely. this is their job and yeah and- I, wouldn't it be nice to know that because that's you know I, I don't actually know the name of mine. I can't remember anyone's names, but it, I I had a sort of debrief um, with the consultant and I said to her and I described him and she said, oh, he's actually retired now. Um, but she again, I don't I can't remember his name. I think it is a way of dealing with it. I kind of shove all the memories out. But yeah. yeah, he was amazing. And because I was in theatre for like, I don't know, four or five hours or something, there was a lot of like shift changes but he was there the whole time and he was just so calm. And I remember saying like, um, my spinal blocks started to wear off because they don't, they don't last for very long. Um, and I could, st- I could start to feel my legs just slightly. Yeah, so then I'm yeah. like, and I said, what will, you know, and I was asking him loads of questions. Like, what will happen? What will happen? And everything was just met with this like uber calm, you know, like, yeah. I'll just put you under. But what if that doesn't work? I'll just do this. I'll just do, we'll just do this. Like everything was just, yeah I have a plan I have an answer for all of your questions and it's all going to be absolutely fine because this is what I do every day and it's that like you say that absolute calm that absolute being able to answer all of your questions Mm. was just you know that was just fantastic and if I'd have known that you know I wouldn't have spent the previous hour between them telling me I needed to quickly go into surgery to getting to that point Mm. completely freaking out you yeah. know yeah I know it's and I just remember like I think the difference between kind of um like consultants and the more like I don't know I'm saying more medical but like basically the difference between like the midwife led units and the consultants is so vast and that yeah, was the yeah. feedback I actually gave them and like it's so different and I get why people want to avoid it because I went from a very calm room with like essential oils and a birthing pool to like you say bright lights but I do remember him just sort of looking at me like I was nuts being like god have you not had any pain relief and I was like no and then you know giving me some and me being like oh hello and (laughs) now I'm a bit like why wouldn't you have pain relief I mean I've done 12 hours I haven't given birth but I did 12 hours and like pushing and it freaking hurts and then I was given a total pain relief. And I just think, yeah, that was good. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and that's part of the conversation, isn't it? Like, yeah. it, this isn't some hero test. You know, no. this is hard and it bloody hurts. <laughs> Take the meds. <laughs> no one cares. I mean, this is, I think one of the biggest things that I have learned through everything I've been through, I'm all about, um, what's the phrase? Post-traumatic growth. Is yeah, I yeah. think... I am so I'm just much much less judgmental it's not that I was a hugely judgmental person but now it's like nothing phases me I'm like if you want to breastfeed your child to their five do it if you want to give them formula from day one do it if you want a c-section do it like I don't I don't care I don't understand why people it's no one else's business and I just think that 
happy mom, happy child is just so true. And it's what two of the girls in my NCT were saying, like when we would talk on our WhatsApps and everyone had their different journeys. So, you know, some of us had traumatic births, some people struggled with breastfeeding and, and all different things. And it was like, do you know what? It doesn't matter. Like you just have to do what's right for you. And the fact that people have so much judgment over it, it just astounds me. I, I cannot get my head around it. I know. And so I'm I'm really lucky in that I've only had two people say to me in the seven years and two children that I've had, I've had two people say to me, so would you want another one so you can have a normal birth oh. or like a proper birth? Do you want to do you want to do it properly next time? And yeah. I just I'm lucky because it's only two because I know that there are more people out there who have like even worse experiences. But even that, you know, I can feel myself getting really angry and I'm, I'm not going to. But, you know, and my response always is this is normal. You know, yeah. if you are lucky to have a no complications, you know, standard vaginal delivery, then lucky you because you're in the minority. I, I remember my therapist saying to me, you gave birth. And I was like, but I don't feel like I did. And she was like, but you did. And then I also remember her saying to me, like, all birth is beautiful, which I thought was just such a lovely thing to say, because, you know, one of the things that I've had to deal with is like, so out of everything that I went through, the thing that I'm still find quite traumatic is that I didn't meet him so like he came out he wasn't breathing he was whisked off so we didn't see him um we were sort of both in separate intensive cares and you know I met him I don't know like 10 hours later or something and then um but anyway but the point is he doesn't know any of that he's fine you know like he wasn't breathing he was breathing quickly he was on antibiotics for five days and he is fine he's such a happy healthy child so the way he was born it's so irrelevant and I could tell him and like make it into a thing but that's what I feel really conscious of like most people don't know anything about their birth I mean did you like I only know because I asked my mom when I was pregnant yeah that's it yeah I was like oh what happened with me so I don't, yeah, I don't know why people um, care so much because you don't meet somebody and think, oh, he seems like he was a (laughs) C-section. I mean, God, it's like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That's hilarious, that thought. It's something that I, um, if I'm honest, I avoid it a bit because I find it such an emotive subject yeah um but I'm very glad to see a lot of conversations going on like I think it's called birth better there's like um I have to try and remember her name but I've, I've since in the last couple of years been aware of a lot of people who do campaign for this who are like birth advocates and you know write books on it and and there's pandas which I've forgotten what it stands for, but it's like... Um, so it's for, pre- and postnatal depression. Pre- and postnatal, thank you. Which I didn't... So I didn't know about any of this when I was struggling. And I now... I guess a lot of... Because what I do with my job and the accounts I follow online, like, for me, talking like this is very normal. However, I guess what we have to remember is for some people it's not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I for me I felt very much I'm sure you have this too like I would go to the mummy and baby groups and I'd be like what the hell's going on I don't understand like I can't 
even just like getting up and getting dressed today was like a trauma for me I can't have these conversations about like I don't know like are they sitting up you know it just it was it was it was like I was in a parallel universe to everyone around me um but what what I've since found years later is that people talk openly about it but I wonder if it's just when a lot of new mums are in it they don't want to be up front and say I'm struggling and and I think that's really sad yeah I think it is and I think you know you're you're right I I and actually it's not just after the birth of my children in that new mum phase if I'm in an anxious phase at the moment I feel like I'm almost in a parallel universe like I can see people behaving quote unquote normally um and going about their lives and I feel like I'm just kind of in this weird you know (laughs) wavy zone alongside them unable to kind of figure out which way is up and it's really difficult but I think I think you know what you said there about the conversation is changing I think is really positive it's just as you say remembering that this isn't normal for everyone to be having this level of conversation and that's why you know, that's the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I want it to be normal I think it's really important that we're able to go yeah some stuff is really shit but we're all working on it and it's fine we're in it together um, yeah. and that's where we are so yeah so moving kind of away from the birth, because I feel like we could talk about this for hours and <laughs> plan out the entire change of, uh, you know, antenatal classes and support going forward. But um, what tools do you use now to kind of keep yourself in balance? Yeah, such a good question. I mean, so many. Um, but I think for me, what I my biggest I feel like I have some things that are like non-negotiable. So it's like I have to do them and if I don't the anxiety you know will take hold um so one of them is getting outside which obviously during lockdown was difficult um I really find like actually being in nature has a massive impact on my mental health which is I didn't even know I don't live in London anymore I live in in the countryside and um but it instantly calms me and like grounds me so getting outside exercise is so key um so lots of walking I try and do proper workouts, but at the moment, you know, it's hard. But yoga was a biggie for me. Um, meditation really helps me, but I'll be honest, I'm struggling with it at the moment. So my my kind of, if I was to do nothing else, it would be yoga, even if it's just like five minutes. Um, getting outside, walking, um, journaling really, really helps me. Um, I have... I mean, there's loads out there and you could just use a notebook, but I have one called the Positive Planner that I really like. Um, So that's kind of got a format to it that you fill in every morning and every evening. Um, Another thing I think is worth mentioning. So I am actually, I am seeing a therapist at the moment, which, you know, I get that not everyone, not everyone has access to that. Um, The other thing is I haven't had caffeine for like five years. So I feel like caffeine or anything that alters my state doesn't help me. Um, And I also haven't had alcohol for nearly a year now, Um, which like anyone who knew me, like when I was younger, would find that hilarious if I was a big, big drinker. Um, But that really helps me. Like I feel so much better for not drinking. So, yeah. Yeah, No, I'm exactly the same. I, I stopped drinking about oh I don't know 18 months two years ago and it's made a huge difference and I stopped caffeine at the same time so 
like the only caffeine I have now is like the occasional bit of chocolate um, because, you know, I, can't live yeah, without chocolate. Uh, I may be lying a bit because I do eat quite a lot of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have coffee or tea. <laughs> oh, exactly. And, and I found that really helped. And I, you know, I periodically try and cut out sugar as well because I find that that actually does help my kind of state of mind. And like, I want to pick up on what you said about therapy and also what you said earlier about medication, because I think it's really important that, you know, there are options for everybody and not everyone will feel like they want to take medication. I was, I was so against taking medication. I really didn't want to take it, but it got to the point where basically the doctor said, we're not going to put you forward for anything else until you're taking medication, um, which made me really angry, but also made me go fine you know let's try something and actually do you know what it's really helped I take a like a really low dose Mm. and it helps me sleep because sleeping is one of my issues as well it helps me to sleep and it takes away that constant feeling of um anxiety that I always carry with me which is exhausting it really is Yeah. yeah and it just takes it away and and so by by having that and it, by it taking away those kind of side side symptoms, I actually have more headspace now to try and work on things like meditation and exercise. You know, I've I've got the capacity to take on something new. Although, like you, I really struggle with meditation. It's like a love hate thing <laughs> got going on. I I read. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Um, Sarah Wilson's book. First, we make the beast beautiful no I haven't I'll have to check that out yeah it's an incredible book about her journey with anxiety and and literally on every page I'm nodding along going that's what's in my head you've just explained it really beautifully on a page you know that's my experience and so there are some really good things in there around kind of meditation and how to to start that sort of thing when you're a really anxious person and your head doesn't easily calm down Mm -hmm. um and I, I refer back to that a lot. So one of the things that I've started doing to help with that journey is walking meditation. Oh, yeah, I have so, done that. I, so I think this is why I love yoga so much. Yeah. My, my therapist I see is, um, she's a psychotherapist, but she's also incorporates mindfulness. So mindfulness has been an amazing thing for me as well that I discovered when Isaac was a baby. Um. And that's what she said to me is like, sometimes, especially if you're like a massive overthinker, doing a lot, like a couple of yoga poses, like, and then using that as a meditation can be easier because sometimes it's so hard to just like sit on a chair or lie down and just be for 10 minutes or whatever. Um, but I don't know. It's funny because I, I went through a phase of doing it and I felt so much better. I cannot tell you. So I like having this conversation now makes me think I need to meditate more. But it it has to not feel like a I should do it. Yes. It needs to feel like something that is natural and yeah I yeah I, I'm in exactly the same place and you know I'm rereading Sarah's book to try and help me kind of get to the point where I'm like okay I can I want to do this every day you know this is how I want to spend some time for myself to help myself um and rather than like it being another job that I've got to get done in the day I feel like um what I used to do and I I, I know so much more about it now like I've just learned over the years about all these things I didn't know about and I've educated myself and you know I work with a lot of clients that help people but for me 
on a really basic level, like I told a friend to do this recently who's really struggling with um, their mental health, like just make a list. So I would literally just write down like what makes me feel better. And it would be like, you know, eating vegetables, drinking loads of water, going for a walk. And what doesn't make me feel better? And it's like on a really basic level, that's how I started. Like just literally write it down and think, okay, so what out of that can I do? Um, yeah, because I think otherwise this whole like, I should be doing an hour's yoga a day and I should be meditating. Like it can feel like more that you have to do. Um, the other thing actually to mention, which I've discovered quite recently is CBD oil. Oh, and okay. I'm a big fan of that. So I started taking it at the beginning of lockdown. Um, I did actually call, I have to say, I did actually call the doctor and I got medication because I thought I was going to have to take it. Um, and I would, I'm totally for it. Like if I need to take it, I will. But at the moment I feel like I'm managing it. Um, and CBD oil is definitely part of that. So I take it in the morning and the evening. And when I first started taking it, I felt like a bit of a, I don't know if rush is the right word, but I could feel the effect, which was really nice. And that's kind of gone now, but it just helps with general anxiety levels. Oh, that's really interesting. It's something that I don't feel like I know enough about in, you know, in terms of kind of the research and, you know, how it works and, and that sort of thing. And um, I, it's something that, you know, I see all over social media, actually, people That's selling right. it and people using it and stuff. And it's, yeah. it's good. I think, you know, it's great that it's worked for you. That's a really positive kind of step, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a nice thing. Um, I can't get it as easily now because I used to get it in London, but I used to buy like drinks that had it in as well. So for me, it was quite a nice thing to have like a fizzy drink that had CBD in it as opposed to having a glass of wine. You know, it felt like a kind of nice sort of ritual thing to do as well. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. So um, like you've said about how the tools that you've had and how that's kind of changed your focus in your day to day life. And has that fed in then in terms of the impact of your personal journey on your business? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of this, I, I just feel like pretty much everything in my life has changed hugely since I became mum and you know a lot of it is around the issues I had with my mental health um but coincidentally I actually got made redundant when I was on maternity leave oh crikey yeah it's actually really common I never knew I thought you were a bit immune but you're not apparently um and to be fair I was feeling you know this was when I was it was probably hard I don't know like four five months old maybe and I was just the thought of going back to work was terrifying. I was like, I don't, I worked in an agency. I was an account director in an agency. So I don't know how I'm going to go back to that pressure, that amount of emails, you know, clients shouting at you. Um, and so, yeah, I got made redundant. And I sort of tried, I think I tried to find some part-time jobs, like sort of flexible working and haha of course they're like impossible to find yeah of course and then it just sort of happened quite organically so you know I was lucky I got redundancy payout um so that was actually it was all a real blessing in disguise um and then I started doing some consultancy for somebody locally who I'd actually so she teaches pregnancy and postnatal fitness classes so I'd been going to her classes um and then it just kind of went from there and I think it's taken me a while over the years but what I 
I'm very adamant about is like I think and I used to feel almost a bit embarrassed about this but now I'm like no I'm just gonna own it my tolerance for stress I would say is much lower these days so when I was younger and you know before I had Isaac I could really cope it may be affected me but that was just my job and my life whereas now I don't want to work with clients that I don't like I don't want to be shouted at I don't want to be stressing at night or not being able to sleep because of a project so and again I realized I'm privileged that I've been able to do this but I've kind of built a business around that and so you know I I really don't like if if I was working with a client and they were rude to me I just wouldn't carry on working with them um and I only work with people that I'm really passionate about and so that helps my mental health um because I think actually being busy and using my creative brain and being passionate, these are all things that actually help my anxiety. Um, and then the other thing is just allowing, um, I mean, my son's at school now, well, not this minute, obviously, but he's now at school age. That I've got more time. But I was very conscious that I wanted to build a business that allowed me to like not have to be on a train all the time to London, to be able to do a yoga class. And so that's kind of what I've built. And I think because of the personal journey that I've been through it's so important to me and um my friend Susie Redding who I was mentioning to you before we started recording so she's amazing I really recommend people checking out her book The Self-Care Revolution but her phrase that she always says is self-care isn't selfish and I actually really believe that now and I think there's a lot of guilt around doing stuff for yourself especially when you're a mum but now I'm kind of like, no, like I need to go to my yoga class on a Monday morning. And I need, um, my husband normally, the world has changed, but normally works very long hours in London. So if I want to do anything, it has to be within school hours. So if I want to do exercise. Um, so basically, yeah, I've built my business so that I can do all those things around it. And I, yeah that's my long answer to that but I, I I feel like it's really important like I don't want to suddenly go back down that road of being really busy and like forgetting to eat lunch and forgetting to wait because yeah you have lunch that really. like I just I have no interest in doing that anymore absolutely and I think that was one of the things for me when I went back to work after having my first child everyone was talking about bouncing back and getting back to normal and all of these things and I I distinctly remember I was in the fog of postnatal depression thinking I don't want any of that this isn't the life I want to lead I don't want to be leaving him four days a week to come into a job that actually I don't like very much (laughs) I find really stressful this isn't how I want to spend the rest of my life you know dropping my son off as early as possible like like pegging it down the motorway to get to work on time as you say not having lunch forgetting to go for a wee and then pegging it back down the motorway in order to pick him up on time it was like this isn't this isn't life this is not fun and um I totally agree about the stress levels now I have definitely got to a place where if someone is speaking to me inappropriately you know if they're giving me a hard time about something that you know just is unnecessary I'm more easily able to call them out on it now Mm, you know and I and I will just say look I'm sorry I don't appreciate you speaking to me like that call me back when you're calmer and you can have a rational conversation about this Mm. you know because 
I just I don't need that kind of crap in my life I just don't Uh, it's so true and I think when you're I don't know when you've been through any sort of trauma or or you've got an ongoing sort of mental health struggle it's like you just think oh god I've got enough to deal with with my own like internal dialogue (laughs) without dealing with other stuff as well and yeah yeah, I I have learned so much about, about it and I you know I feel really grateful that I have had therapy and I've done a lot of um you know like online courses and I and a, a lot of like mindset stuff um so I yeah it's feel, I, I almost feel like I've kind of tapped into this inner level as well and I'm really learning or I've learned to make decisions very much like with my gut and my and yes. into my feelings so when like when I go to my therapist she'll get me to just do like a little check-in at the beginning so I guess you could call a meditation but it's very quick like a mindfulness just sit for a few minutes um but what she's really taught me to do is like feel it rather than think it so if you're talking about something and you're feeling like tension in your chest and a feeling in your stomach it means it's not right for you and so now I can tune in and if someone calls me about a project or something and I get that feeling, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But that's years to learn how to do that. And that's the thing, I think, as well, isn't it? Like, that's the joy of having a really good therapist is that they help you to kind of build that toolkit and give you the confidence in your own ability to live in that way. Like, I would never, like, in the early days of, of kind of being unwell... I'd have never have felt sort of worthy almost of speaking my mind, of being able to say, this doesn't feel right. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. You know, I would always just go, yeah, okay. And then feel awful about it afterwards. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's worse though, which I've really done in my life, because I'm such a people pleaser, is like you say yes to something knowing you don't want to do it. Yes maybe you don't give it your all or you might have to let them down later down the line like I think that's worse actually yeah absolutely I I'm I'm making an active effort at the moment even with friends if they ask me if I want to do something and I and I just don't it just doesn't feel right I'm I'm really trying hard to be honest in the first instance and say I'd love to spend time with you but actually that's not what I want to do at the moment can we do something else instead or you know I'll catch you next time or something because actually I I leave you know I've not yet had a response to that response that that is like oh for god's sake you're you know you're a rubbish friend what do you think you're doing you know everyone has been like thanks for being really open with me I appreciate that let's arrange something else you know I think boundaries are a biggie like that's something I've really really learned and you know, on even on more like um a work front, yeah. It's for me, it's things like not saying yes to every can I buy you a coffee and pick your brain. It's like, no, y- you can pay me if you want my time, you know, like exactly. And it's things like that that again is like literally taking me years. And obviously I'll do it for friends, but I used to just say yes to everything and you know, want want people to like me and yeah it definitely takes some practice doesn't it <laughs> yeah it does it really does and and that's where you know that that mindset work is really really important that being able to check in with your guts that being able to have that moment of stillness in your head to mm-hmm. check in and say actually this feels okay or no I don't want to do this um, and and find that you know that pool of inner strength to be able to say no to stuff 
Mm, absolutely. And, you know, just a tiny example I can think of for this is that, like I said, for me being outside and, and doing some walking, it just it makes a huge difference to me. And sometimes if I have got a busy day, that is hard to do when I'm working. And so sometimes if a friend wants to meet for coffee or lunch, I might say, oh, actually, should we go for a walk? Like, we'll yeah, go and grab yeah. a coffee. You know, we've got really beautiful countryside around here. I'm like, let's go and go for a walk. And it's just things like that, like maybe just making a suggestion like that's going to make quite a big difference to my day. And nine times out of ten, my friends would love the idea of doing that. Um, but it's just putting it out there rather than just saying yes to everything that people ask you to do. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just quickly then, I know we've covered it a little bit already, but how is like getting your niche in your business around health and wellness and the focus on authenticity how has that helped your mental health um I think the main way it's helped is like with my purpose it's just given me such a purpose and you know like I said I've I've always kind of worked in client-facing roles and I've sometimes you know it's not like all my clients are bad actually some of them are really lovely but you know I might have gone to a pitch when I worked in an agency and have to just completely fake my passion for something. And now it's just so nice that I don't have to. Like, I am genuinely really passionate about health and wellness and, you know, working with people that help others, um, particularly if there is a kind of mental health focus. Um, so I think the fact that I believe in my clients, I don't have to fake anything. And I just feel... I think the word I would use is aligned. Like everything now is starting to feel very aligned in my business. I'm not saying it's perfect at all. There's still stuff I want to change. Um, and, the, and the authentic thing as well. So I had this real aversion to all these people that kind of go, oh, I'm going to teach you how to get 100,000 Instagram followers and, you know, do this and do that. And I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, like it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's yeah, relevant. Yeah. It's just valetary metrics. And a lot of the time these people want you to do things that are a bit shady and I think that's what I've kind of learned over the years and this is how my language has developed is I would say like yeah I'm not going to make you do any kind of spammy shady shit um it's about being authentic and being you um and so that yeah it just all feels very aligned like I wouldn't want to do something that didn't feel authentic to me and therefore I don't make my clients so if not that I can make them anyway but you know what I mean I won't advise them like if they strongly don't want to do something and it doesn't feel right then I'm like fine don't do it we'll find something else that gets you out of there you know if you hate the idea of being on video maybe do a podcast or write a blog um and so yeah I think it just helps me and I love what I missed when I wasn't really working when I was it was little was that um you know that just feeling of satisfaction at the end of the day like oh yeah that was a busy day and yeah. I've achieved something and I feel proud and that is generally how I feel when I work with my clients now so yeah yeah and that's that's so wonderful and I love that alignment you know that is absolutely the goal isn't it is to feel like everything is working towards you know your values and supporting your way of life and getting you like towards you achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve that you know not wasting energy on stuff that doesn't serve your purpose is just yeah the energy thing when I first worked with a business coach um a few years ago that was the main thing I said to her I was like I am 
wasting my energy and things and it's draining me and um, you know I'm quite a sensitive person as well like I'm not sure if I am literally an empath but I yeah I get very drained by other yeah. people's emotions and I really feel like I have to guard my energy and that's why I said to was like I'm putting my energy into the wrong things I'm getting drained and then I don't have energy to put into the things I want to do and I think that is yeah it's so important yeah. and the other thing that I've learned I mean it might sound really silly but I think just a lot of the way I was brought up and the jobs I've done was always be like very people pleasing and but it's like do you know what the only person that can make this happen is me like I want to have this flexible business no one's gonna I'm, I'm not I don't have a proper job but at Versa Commons like I'm self-employed so I have to make this happen for myself and being feeling on board and excited about it and like it's in line with my values that's what motivates me to do it because I don't have a boss that's going to tell me off if I don't do anything on a Monday so <laughs> I have to come from somewhere <laughs> yeah absolutely but and, and that's the joy of having something that you know excites you it lights you up it it, it is really authentic to your values is that you don't need a boss shouting at you to get stuff done because you're really excited by it and you're energized by it. And that helps you to get through the inevitable tough periods because nothing is always on the up, you know, mm. and, and being able to be excited about facing the day because you've got a chat with that client that you really like, or you've got a new thing coming out that you're really excited about, you know, that's all you. And that's like, that's yeah. awesome stuff to kind of get you moving, isn't it? It's great. Yeah, and I think particularly with marketing, like it can feel like such a slog, you know, you can feel like, oh, and it's funny, in a way, lockdown's been quite a good time for me because it's made me reevaluate. So now I'm not doing any like marketing management for people. I basically help people do their own. Yeah. So whether it's a strategy session or my course or whatever. And that again feels better to me because I sort of believe that you should do your own marketing if you can. Like, by all means, get help with the um, the practical stuff, like, you know, scheduling and whatever. But for me, I don't want to be, like, writing my client's copy and doing all my social media posts. Like, it just, it feels a bit weird. Um, oh, I've kind of forgot where I was going with that now. <laughs> In terms of, um, like, energising yourself with your business. And that's, you know, it's great, isn't it? You live and learn and you've learned that that's kind of not the direction you want to take. You don't want to be writing stuff for other people. And and that's fab because, you know, your business is going to thrive when you've got that really well-defined kind of niche in that set of services, isn't it? That's, you know, oh, that's where you focus. Yeah, I just remember what I was going to say. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, the, the last sort of three or four people that I've had discovery calls with have gone on to work with me. And that I'm just like, yeah, these are like exactly the type of people that I want to work with. And I'm like, wow. And, and then I've realized, oh, but that's not just a coincidence. That's because I've been putting it out there. And it's yeah, been a bit yeah. of a long slog, don't get me wrong. But that feels nice. Like I'm actually attracting the people that I want to work with. Yeah. And there's, you know, that's the same outside of work, isn't it? You know, if you're authentic in how you deal with people and how you present yourself to the world, you're, you're going to find your people. You're going to find people who, you know, really respect that and really kind of, you know, gem with that energy and, you know, are the same, give you the same that you're giving them. And uh, that's just magic when that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So finally, then, I just want to ask you the question I ask everybody. Do you have a change one thing for us? Yes, really hard to limit it to one, actually. Um, Okay, so for me, it's practicing gratitude. So ideally, this is something that I would write down. But I think if, you know, people can't, then you can just think it. Um, But so what I do now, I actually, because I'm a really big fan of journaling as well. Um, I have a planner called the Positive Planner. So it's actually a, a journal that I've bought and it's, you know, it's got the sections that you fill in um, and you sort of set some intentions for the day in the morning and then in the evening you reflect on your day and you'll put your your things that you're grateful for. Um, it could just be in a journal. That's what I did before. I, and, it, and I would normally do three things um, and I actually get my son to do it now. And there's a lot of... Um, I kind of learn about this to your client there's actually a lot of like science behind it so you're actually um I'm not going to explain this very well but you're sort of rewiring the way your brain is thinking so you're you're kind of by ending the day thinking about something positive it kind of reframes it so it's really great for anxiety it's really great for not being able to sleep um yeah so that is my one thing and I I just think and I was doing it big time during lockdown because it felt pretty awful um beginning of the year so like I was ill for like most of December and January um like sort of some guiding stuff which I've now had sorted out but it was a very anxious time for me I was basically in bed for most of December and I was feeling pretty sorry for myself um and again like I would get my planner out and I would write down the three things that I'm grateful for which might be you know where I live I've got a supportive husband um you know I can afford to go and see a doctor, like whatever it might be. And it just, for me, it's a wonderful way to reframe things. And I remember when Isaac was a baby and I was, you know, like I said, it was a really crappy period of time for me, but I could find something, even if something tiny, like I've got to have a hot cup of tea today. Yes, I I love that. There's the tiny things that, you know. It was really small then, or like I got to sit in the garden while you had a nap and I looked at the flowers or, you know, just something really little. Um, but I just think it's a wonderful way to reframe it. And the other thing, without going off too much of a tangent, is um, I'm just looking, I've actually got in front of me, in the positive panel, I love that it's got three things I did well today. Yeah. And I really like that because I can have a day where I feel like I've done nothing. And I'm like, I've done none of my work to do list. But then I'll actually think about it and I can write something like, well, I was really present with my son, you know, doing some colouring in with him or, you know, I didn't lose it when someone was being rude to me in the supermarket or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, I just think it's that reframing that I'm a, I'm a real fan of. Yeah, I love that. And and you're right, there's loads of science behind the efficacy of, of gratitude and things. And I think along with meditation, it's something I'm actively working on because I really do struggle with that. And But what I really like, you know, the three things that I did well today because I, I'm, you know, it's a typical anxious response, I think. I get really hung up and I can tell you in minute detail all the things that went wrong today. But I would really struggle to tell you three things that I did well in any given day. And that's a really, it's a really important practice to get handle on isn't it and to have in your in your daily life so that it breaks that cycle of always feeling not enough which is a you know a huge trigger for me and my anxiety it's you know that that practice of 
you know, yeah, okay, it might only be that um, I had a really good game with my youngest today and, and we had a good giggle together and that was really nice, you know. But that's really important to kind of make a note of that, isn't it? Otherwise, it just you focus in on the bad things, and we and just then... so mean to ourselves, aren't we? Like you, you know, it's like I mentioned Susie Redding earlier. She always says, you know, speak to yourself like you would your best friend. Like we would never yeah. speak to our best friend the way we do to ourselves. It can be oh, I know. I mean, we wouldn't have any friends left, would we? Crikey, it is awful. And you know, I wrote one the other day, and I. I just felt really knackered. I think I had really bad period pain. And I actually wrote the thing I did well. I felt really proud of myself. As I was like, I let myself rest. Like in the afternoon, I, I was like, do you know what? We're going to put on a film. I watched a film with my son. I put my feet up and I was like, I need to do this. And I actually wrote that down as a thing I did well. And I was like, that felt really nice rather than just, oh, I was really lazy and I just put my feet up for a couple of hours. It's like, no, actually, I saw what that needed doing. And by doing that, I then had the energy to do bath time and playing with him before he went to bed. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I really, like, I don't work for them. <laughs> but I'm such a fan of this positive planner. I really like it. Yeah, um, I love that. And that, that's, that is magic, isn't it? Like, that is a, such a perfect place to end the conversation on that, I did well because I let myself rest. I mean, how many of us need to say that to ourselves every day? Yeah. Oh, that's just, that's fab. Oh, Hannah, I could talk to you all day. It's just oh, been, it's been brilliant. It's been fab. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast to get the next episode as soon as it's ready and to help other people find us. See you next time.